I am thrilled with today's guest, Essie Cup. I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, she's, of course, a big personality on CNN, a columnist. My favorite, where she appears, is the Daily News, an author, uh, a make sense which doesn't exist anymore. Somebody who makes sense who's a Republican and it's a dying breed. Uh, well, actually, are you officially a Republican? For all intents and purposes. I don't know what they would call me, but. <laughs> How's it going? Thanks for being here. How's it going? What an interesting question. Um, you know, it's been a wild ride since 2015 as, as a movement conservative, someone concerned with conservative principles and underlying underpinning philosophy to see all of that completely abandoned, not just by Trump, the figurehead, but by people like Mike Pence, right. Yeah. Who were like sort of standard bearers who, you know, know better. Um, it's been wild. And to keep, to keep your center in this very disorienting political landscape and, and media landscape has been has been trying. <laughs> you were a column last week about Mitt Romney. I'm a big fan also. And will the party ever support a Mitt Romney-like character again? Is is are we here to stay with the with the base of the party being where it is? Uh, I keep saying losing is going to wake them up, but it doesn't seem to happen. Well, first, I always like to say thanks for reading my writing mm -hmm. and um, quoting my writing. It's not something that every interviewer does, and so I appreciate it. Um, this is something that, you know, I've been wrestling with, and I think a lot of other sort of movement conservative, um, movement conservatives have been wrestling with what does it take to jostle the party back to its John McCain era, Mitt Romney era, go back, you know, Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater, when, when intellectual rigorism was, was, was important um, yeah. to the conservative. Who would think we'd be longing for the days of Barry Goldwater? How about that one, huh? <laughs> well, listen, who would have thought Democrats would be longing for the days of Mitt Romney? Yeah. You and I were around for that coverage, um, at, you know, at the same network. It was not kind. He no. was the devil incarnate. Well, so by the, they were calling W a, a dictator and making yes. fascist and, yes. and Hitler references. To, I mean, give me W. Yes. What a lovely, delightful, made, made a bad bet on Iraq. But other than that, I, I mean, you can't fault the guy. Saved millions of lives in Africa. I, I mean, this was a man of the people. And, and, and similarly, I know a lot of conservatives that look back at Obama and say, sure. God, he wasn't really that yeah. bad. Yeah. And we kind of gave him a bum deal because everyone next to Trump looks way, way worse. But there are sort of two schools of thought uh, uh, as to how the Republican Party um, breaks loose of this. One is that it will take a Mitt Romney moderate figure to say, guys, we need to come back to our, our middle ground, our roots, our conservatism, and we need to sound a lot more like the rest of the country. Um, the other alternative is that it takes a far, far left progressive um, you know, to to get elected, that's not Joe Biden, someone more like AOC or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders to really break Republicans out of this MAGA trance and say, we're never going to win. And, you know, the progressive left is so far from where the center is. We've got to, like, really come back together as Republicans and remember who we are. I, I don't really know if either of those are possible in the near term. We'll, we'll have to see. But I think MAGA is around for a long time. I agree with you. I think that's where it is. We're going to talk a lot of politics. I want to go back and talk a little bit about you and growing up. And I did not know you were a prima ballerina. Uh, I mean, ballet was a big part of your life for uh, a decade or so. Yeah. 
a decade. And it was, it was, it was my whole life. Um, because this is so weird, but when I was six or seven, um, we were trying to find something for me to do after school, right? Like, cause all my friends were busy and we picked ballet cause there was a ballet school in town where I grew up in, in Andover, Massachusetts. We didn't know anything about it. We just signed up and it ended up being, we very quickly learned this Russian Vaganova, super strict, no talking, no fun costumes. Like it wasn't the competitive where, you know, where you compete with teams. It was very serious ballet, yelling in Russian and French. And so I never did like the fun dancing. I was always in this very competitive environment with it. So I never enjoyed it. I kept doing it because I wanted to keep getting better and I wanted to keep getting, getting praise from people who never gave it to you. Um, and so I stuck with it of much longer than I think was good for me. But eventually, like in the nick of time, I, I got out when I did around 17 or 18. And it, it brought some lovely side benefits, like I say this facetiously, tremendously, like eating disorders and things like that, yeah. which is just, I, I, I mean, the th and I, so many young women deal with that today. Talk to me about just if there's somebody, we, we don't have young, you know, we don't have teenagers listening to this podcast for the most part, but if we have a parent listening to a podcast, give us some helpful right. advice there. Oof. Well, on the one hand, you want to listen to your kids, but most of the time we hide that and we hide it pretty well. And I, you know, I said I was fine and I said I, I felt fine. I had, I, I had not just my eating disorder, my body issues, but I had depression. I had suicidal thoughts. I hit all of that. So it's real important that you try to talk to your kids, but if you can't get it out of them, um, maybe a therapist can. And the best part about today, as opposed to when I was 14, 15, is um, it's easier to get mental health help. It's easier to ask for it. There's less of a stigma around it. We still have to fight that stigma all the time, but um, it, there's less of a barrier to getting it. And so I, I would encourage parents of any kids that you think might not be good, might be struggling, might be challenged and might not want to be as open with you as you'd like them to be. Just, just suggest, why don't we talk to someone? Why don't you talk to someone? I'll set it up Yeah, because that can be a lifeline and that can open doors that parents just can't always. Yeah, You've been very brave talking about your, your fight with anxiety. You kind of hit a pinnacle about three years ago. You had what you called a meltdown or perfect storm. Uh, I've had some bouts with depression and anxiety. I've, I've, I've kind of fought it and, uh, not everybody is talks about it. And the more we talk about it, the, the better we're going to get, because it is the mental health issues in this country and particularly with young people today, particularly since the advent of social media, is it such a DEFCOM, uh, point? Yeah. Talk to me about your battle. Um, well, all the things you just said, um, social media and anxiety um, go hand in hand and they are linked. There's tons of research on that and it's especially affecting young people. But it's hard to talk about. I find it hard to talk about anxiety in ways that people understand because if you don't have a, dis a disorder, an anxiety disorder like I have, you think, well, who isn't anxious? Yeah. Who isn't worried? Anxious is, anxiety and anxious, those are very different things. I, yeah, I, you know. exactly right. I'm so glad you said that. Um, and it's, listen, it's especially important for men 
of a of a generation to say that and to talk about it um the way you are because you know we we need everyone to hear this it's not this is not reserved for young people and it's not reserved for women um but yeah it's hard to describe what an anxiety disorder is without someone wondering well you sound entitled or maybe you just need a break or you sound like you're whining or toughen up and man i wish i wish it were that easy because i'm a pretty tough lady and i've been doing this a long time and if i could just toughen up and that would be it believe me i would do it yeah. but my anxiety is crippling and paralyzing and uh it's a liar my anxiety lies to me and tells me that a catastrophe is about to happen when i'm perfectly safe and so learning how to live without anxiety has been the challenge of my life and i'm in therapy and i'm on medication i'm writing a book about this so i'm dealing with it i'm in it but i got really good at living with anxiety and i got good at developing really unhealthy habits to live with anxiety and i thought that was normal and that's why i wish people talked about it more because i had i heard what my anxiety was 10 years earlier i could have slowed some of these habits down and i could have gotten help earlier and it would have been much easier 10 years ago to unlearn some of this stuff yeah. than it is you know 20 years in don't you love when people say to you well well let's see i mean you have every year you're you're on tv you're you're a renowned journalist you you're married you got a kid you what do you have to be anxious about you know what do you have to be yeah. depressed yeah don't you love that one yeah well that again that's the fundamental misunderstanding of how anxiety disorders work and mine uh, functions in many ways, but I'll give you one example so that maybe listeners can, can get a better idea of what, what I'm talking about. The way my anxiety can work, like I said, is by lying to me. And so I'll be out and about in my town, an ambulance goes by and in my mind, it it's is really immediately dear, going yeah. to my kid's school. Yeah. And in, within seconds, maybe five seconds, my mind goes to the worst possible scenario. And I do that all day. Um, you know, I, I'm working hard on, on not doing that. But that. At the height of my anxiety, I did that 24-7, no matter what was happening. Um, I would imagine the worst was going to happen. And in fact, I would bargain with my anxiety and say, okay, if I can imagine it and actually feel the worst thing happening, and so I feel it physically, I feel it emotionally, I experience it, maybe then it won't happen. And so that anxiety, the catastrophizing, I thought was keeping me safe. That was the thing, keeping me safe. And that's obviously irrational. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. And I'm a rational person. Um, so it kind of blows my mind today that I didn't realize I was doing this very irrational thing, but I do this irrational thing all the time. And so needing the anxiety and the anxiety rituals to keep you safe is a disorder. That's a disordered way of thinking and seeing the world. And it's debilitating. And eventually, yeah, I had a nervous breakdown, a complete break, um, because my mind and body could not keep doing this over and over and over again. But out of the ashes, uh, stronger, bigger, better, stronger than ever, right? That's the goal. And... Um, you know, I want to get 
healthier for me, right? Because I want to I wanna live a full life and my anxiety takes me out of every moment. But it's more for your kid. But it, I have a kid yeah. and you know, you know this. Um, you know, you want to be the best parent. You want to model good behavior. You also, you know, worrying about my kid is is paralyzing. And it's not good for him. He doesn't deserve what is he about, to eight, feel that. Eight, eight years old? Yeah, he's eight turning nine. Okay. Um, so yeah, you want to come out of it stronger and you want to get to know yourself better. And that's hard to do. That can be painful to look back at why you're like this. Well, how did I get like this? Yeah. Why do I do this? And that means in my case, and I think in probably everyone's case, looking back at some things that happened maybe when you were a kid and- yeah. You know, they don't have to be huge traumas to have an impact on your future Well, it's also life. there's just chemical things. I mean, your genetics, we're, we're born Absolutely. with stuff. I mean, it just, it is, there's, there's, it's a combination of both, obviously. And it's important to find out why, what's yeah. happening. What yeah. of those things is really behind all of this? And it could be a combination and getting help, talking to someone, getting on medication if you need it, finding the things that work for you. It's just so, it's so important. It's really hard to do. But I'm writing this book, not so people can really learn more about me, but so that a parent or a teenager reading this can say, oh, I do that. And that's not normal. And I don't have to live like this. Mm -hmm. I can get help for this. Um, I want someone to learn that way earlier than I did. All right. Thanks. Thanks for going there. And I know it's emotional. For you. When's the book coming out? Um, as soon as I finish it, Donnie. And that's, <laughs> that's the... <laughs> The hard thing is like when I'm feeling great, the last thing I want to do is think about my mental health and write yeah. about it. So yeah. carving out the time to write this is challenging, but I will get there and right. and this will be this will this will get done. <laughs> CNN, let's talk a little bit about just state of the world of CNN. I'm good friends with Jeff Zucker. I'm good friends with Chris Lick. So we're not going to get into any of the silliness, but how's things going there now these days? Whew. Um, well, I've been at CNN for 10 years. Okay. So you've so, seen the iterations. So you would, what, Zucker yeah. showed up there was about about 10 years ago, was it? How long, when did he show yeah, up? Yeah, I, I came yeah. with him. Basically, yeah, okay. he went to CNN and then he kind of poached me from MS and I went right. a couple months later. Um, so yeah, I've been there a, a while and I've seen changes, ridden the waves. And this is a tough time. Look, it's tough for everyone in cable news because we're all kind of sorting out, figuring out the future and what's next. Yeah, as our audience dies, right. Then there's the demographic right. issues with right. cable news, the, the cord cutting issues with cable news, um, and the technological changes around that, the way people are viewing the news and consuming news. We're all dealing with that. And then additionally, CNN is dealing with all of these leadership changes, brand changes. I would love to hear your take on what our brand is yeah. now, because I think that's been the most disorienting part. Our brand has shifted, and I don't know what it is really. Well, here's the, here's the problem slash opportunity slash problem with your brand. I call it the Burger King problem. Burger King has been known for burgers. That's who we are, right? And we're going to stay true to our core competency. 
And every time they do that, they go, but wait a second, it's not a big enough business. We got to do salads, we got to do tacos. You know? So CNN's, Chicken. yeah, CNN's core competency, we give you the news straight. We give you, you know, we're, we're the tr- most tr- trusted world leader. We're the guys that when the shit's hitting the fan, you're really going to come to. But the problem is, is there a business in that anymore? Is there a business? Right. You know what, what? What Chris came on for, and what the the raison don is? We're gonna, we're not gonna be opinionated. We're gonna give it to you straight. But because of the world we live in, and because of this thing, we all want our bespoke news, and we want it that way. So you start to drift from that brand and start to do opinion. Well, that's not who we are. We don't want to be there anymore. Then you go back to that and there's not a big enough business there. It's a real fucked up situation. You guys have, if I was in charge of CNN today, um, I would probably, I don't know what I would do. I, because I don't think there's a buy, but you could say, look, we're going to be who we're going to be. But there's not a big enough audience for that anymore. People want it a certain way. But then you go, okay, if we do opinion, we're not true to our brand. And also, yeah. are we just a different version of ML? You know, is there yeah. enough place to slice? Well, we'll just go just right of center or just left of center. Is that enough of a slice? It's a conundrum. It's a real marketing Rubik's Cube. I have to, as a guy who thinks he knows everything and always has the answer, I don't have the answer yeah. for this one. I mean, in a way that's encouraging, right? That, um, that even you know, one of the smartest branding marketing minds agrees that this is a real, this is a puzzle. And um, I don't know what our future is. I know we're important and I think that we're a valuable, we're a valuable product and we do a valuable service. Um, and I, I hope we figure it out because I love it. I love CNN, but it's, our future's real uncertain. Here's, here's the, here's the conundrum. Uh, Cable news success is about big personalities and big personalities have opinions. So it's it's tough to just go, okay, we're gonna go to the middle of the road, but you want big names and you are you want not forget big names, people who really are emotional, people like yourself, people who can't help their their insides come out. And that's what yeah. people relate to at home when it's authentic and when it's real. But then if you're doing straight news, that's counterintuitive to that. So it's a it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with the uh when is the Gail King uh Charles Barkley thing? And I'm curious what, what your thoughts are on that because that's a big swing. It's a bit it, you know, what what's interesting about Barkley is that um he's a guy, he's an example of I don't want to call it being in the middle, being in the inflammatory middle, where he will just tell it like it is, but from both sides. And there are very few people like that and have kind of occupied that space and can get away in that space. Yeah. Um, well, I think, first of all, I think Gail is an unrivaled talent. She's I, amazing, I think yeah. everyone would be lucky to get Gail. And so I feel lucky to get Gail once a week and for as long as we'll have her. I don't know how long that'll be. I think that's great for us. Um, I don't know what that dynamic is going to be like, I, you know, whether they have chemistry, like in the sure. end of the, at the end of the day, you and I have done TV a long time. You need chemistry. There are chemistry, things that are right. important in television and um, someone who's great at, at sports, I don't know, will be great. Well, that's the problem. You go back to this branding lose- problem. The very right. thing we're going to try and do is go out of the box, or, but then you're leaving your box. And then Charles yeah. Barkley, CNN, I mean, do you, do you, do you could be magic, right? But yes, I, I mean, I think it's good. I think it, it's going to be interesting as work, but then you become the challenge that, Basically, cable, as we know, is a repetition business, and it's and it doesn't once a week is not the formula that works for yeah. a cable audience. So there's a lot of moving pieces there. But maybe if it does well, you can replicate 
it in different ways with other big personalities on yeah. other nights. And, yes. you know, if that becomes the play, yeah. I mean, I'm game for, I'm game for disruption in this industry. And my lament has been that when I was coming up in cable news, bo both as a viewer and then, and then on it, we had all different kinds of debate and panel shows, right? We had the original crossfire, you know, Handy and Combs when Alan was still alive. We had McLaughlin group and, yeah. you know, so cycle, many. I had the one, cycle. I had one at CNN <laughs> cycle. And then I came, I came to CNN for a crossfire reboot. There is not a single debate show in prime time on yeah. any cable news network, which yeah. blows my mind because I think if done well, that is a, that that's where a I would go. If you ask me where I would go is like, okay, we need fire. We don't want to just yeah. be, we can, but let's get fire from both sides. And let, mm -hmm. let's see if we could do that. that that's the place, that, right. the, the only space that's kind of left. You know, do you want the dynamism. And, and the, the thing with today's political landscape is I, I could tell you I'm a Republican, right? You have no idea what that means. Yeah. You would not know that I'm anti-Trump conservative. You know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I am so conservative on so many issues. I, I mean, right. I'm, a, I'm a hawk. Uh, I could give arguments for the death penalty. I, I mean, a lot of things that would not come with being yeah. a Democrat, you know? Right. So you can't just do a left, right today. That's yeah. insufficient. Yes. You need four, five different kinds of positions represented and viewpoints represented. So you're getting a whole picture, the whole picture of the nuanced arguments on any given issue at any mm -hmm. given time. I would watch that. I would watch the shit out of that. And I think a lot of people would, would too. They want to see those conversations, thoughtful conversations modeled back. I did a, uh, we did it for a few nights, a pilot on CNN with Jeff called The Point, where it was five of us and the different people in there. And Steph Rua was on one day and I, I, I a real eclectic I group of people. And he was going to go with it and he just kind of got COVID. It did, did really well the first two nights. The third night it didn't do as well. And it was like, it could have gone either way. But that would have yeah. been the, the foundation of something like that, you know? That was exactly, exactly the kind of model I'm talking about. And we needed it back then. We need it now, I think, yeah. more than ever. Let's talk a little politics. As we're speaking, I think Trump is making his way downtown or is already down there. We're sitting here as the president uh, is in one of in his civil trial is I'm sure he's going to take the fifth. Here's my question always about the country, because it, we could make Trump the problem. But the, my problem is that 40 percent of the people have seen what he's done and went thumbs up. Yes. More. 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 Give me one. Like the first time around. I get it. Hillary was a terrible candidate. Maybe he's just saying some of these things to get elected and let's try something out of the box. It's the repeat buyers that just I go, I shake my head and go, what? It, Trump's not even the issue. It's those, that's the issue that almost half of our country is there. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And this, this point doesn't get noticed enough that you could get rid of Trump, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's one thing you can't get rid of his voters as easily. And what do you do? What what do we do with that? The folks that want more of that, whether it's more Trump or generally more disruption, more sort of anarchy, um, more conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. What do they want more of? And what do you do with that? And it's why I said back in 2020, look, even if Joe Biden gets elected, the world doesn't magically become a, you know, an easier, less divisive place. Uh, because those people still exist and they mm -hmm. still want more of the thing that, you know, drew them in in the first place. And so for a Republican Party to say, well, we're over Trump, 
you have to be over his voters too. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to say to his voters, we don't want you conspiracy theorists and QAnon and proud boys and oath keepers. I know Trump let y'all come in. We aren't your party anymore. You will not find comfort and refuge in the Republican party. They can't say that because they'll lose, right? And no one is willing to lose. Uh, but that's what you'd need to do. You'd need to turn away the voter block that is so entrenched and so toxic and corrosive in order to sort of remake the Republican Party into anything resembling sanity. I I think such a huge core of it is race. And when I say race, I mean not necessarily that well, it is racism that as this country, and I think 2040, we're going to, the whites going to be a minority in this country and all that means, and ever that means in terms of jobs and things like that. And I think the scariest thing for the Democrats right now is the migrant problem, because I think that really hits a nerve. And I think yeah. that could actually, Trump can win. Trump can absolutely win. And I think that's the kind of, I think the Republicans are going to run a campaign scaring the fuck out of people because it's yeah. got the problem is very different now than it was because now it's in the cities and now it's yeah. not at the border and now it's brought right. and it's this coming to the suburbs and that's if you look at where authoritarianism has authoritarianism has risen all over the world it's always as a result of a problem like this you're right and unlike some other boogeymen that Republicans have seized on in the past. This is a re this is real. This, this problem is real. Is real. Yes. It's not, not made you're up. You're not creating so a caravan. You're not. It's not a mythical caravan. Right, exactly. And you know, Republicans will overplay, but it's real. It's a real problem. Yeah. And if Democrats are going to play the this isn't a real problem game, then they're they're toast because it's real, and you can't tell people um, don't trust your lying eyes. Um, but the. The changing of the country, the, the the changing of the demographics of the country from race and ethnicity and and age, um, I think is a problem for a lot of older people. Yeah. And I get I get their fears and their anxieties and their grievances. However, a leader would find a way to put those in a in a productive place to calm people, to reassure people to walk with people through these big changes. And what Trump did is light a fire, you know, light a match and throw gasoline onto these fears, make them so much worse, turn neighbor against neighbor and say, the reason you're upset is because of, you know, the, your neighbor next door or the migrant down the street or the woman, this, or the minority that they are the problem and they are your enemy. They are why you are so aggrieved. That's not what leaders do. Leaders mm -hmm. would try to calm this tension. The opposite, right. And he's made it so much, so much worse intentionally because it benefits him. Let's go to the other side of the aisle. Biden, his numbers are just abysmal. And he's done a good job in a lot of ways. I mean, if, you, mm -hmm. if you're scoring at home, uh, mm -hmm. if you look at his kind of legislative victories, if, if you look at the way he's handled NATO, um, is it just that he's too fucking old? Is that what like is that what it just doesn't translate? He gets up there and he I, he's really looking old. I, I mean, he yeah. is you know no matter how you slice it, and it's not because he's his age. It's because you could find people that age who are more. He's just looking old. Is that it? Or explain it to me. I think that's a lot of it, and it's real. I mean, 
when the when when his spokespeople or you know surrogates get up and like, oh, he's he's in perfect shape. I we can see, we can see that you know he's struggling, and that's okay. But I think the other part of it is something Democrats used to acknowledge, which is that he was meant to be a transitional president mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not a transformational one. Yes. Okay, great. He transitioned. We've left Trump. We have transitioned out of Trump. He's done his job. He's done it better than expected, in yes, fact. Yes, very much so. Right. But he is now meant to suddenly be a transformational president, someone who's going to take us into yeah. yet another term as the country is wanting to to move on. Well, I, uh, to I that think- point, are you surprised the Democrat, you know, watching Gavin Newsom with Hannity, you kind of went, hey, hey, we could use a little of that. Are you more surprised that there's not more of it, whether it's Gavin or somebody else, a little bit more of a ground. So, I mean, it's not, it's like verboten to even discuss it if yes. you're on MSNBC to say maybe, maybe, and, and, uh, our vice president's not the answer, but maybe there's somebody on the bench that we should take a swing with. It just doesn't come up for discussion. No, and th- there isn't a bench. I mean, l- listen, there's a lot of stars in the Democratic Party. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot you could identify in the far left. I, I tend to think that the folks, sort of in the middle like Absolutely. Tim Ryan. I Those love Tim are Ryan. I think I think wow, Westmore so I let's talented. watch let's watch Westmore also. I think that's a real real inspiration. Exactly right. right. And I I think you know Tim Ryan was trying to get more leadership yeah. roles for a yes. long time and Nancy Pelosi was like no 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 it's not your turn. Just no no go away. Right. Um listen, when you don't create a bench, you know, and you don't really empower people like Tim Ryan to condition Democrats for the possibility that these other other old guys might have to hang it up at some point, then don't be surprised when there is this lack of imagination about who could be next. And when you can't really say it because you don't have the person, mm-hmm. you don't have the, the, the three people, the five people that you could say, well, any one of these people could do this job. If you're not even allowed to talk about it, then no one's used to that idea. They can't get used to the idea. And it feels like you said, it feels forbidden to even think about it. Going to ask you a tough question. Just going back. What's your feelings on, on the Trump uh, appearance on CNN? Give me your thoughts. Just, I'm going to leave it very, very open because there was a, that was a fire. I have my thoughts on it. Uh, I know you're, 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 it's your network. So you have to be careful where, but just right now. Okay. What's your thoughts on that? I did not like that decision. Uh, why? why? Once it was made, I, th- I think, you why know. Didn't you, why didn't you it, like the decision? Because you can't split the baby. And what I think what was trying to happen with that decision was we were trying to get the eyeballs off of Trump. Sure. Um, but and, also make also- a, and also make a statement where we're, we're- both sides, we're going to hear it all. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, you can't. That doesn't work, though, with no. him. And so I think we only got the bad and none of the up, upshot, really, mm-hmm. of doing that. And, yeah. you know, elevating him like that, putting him in a room of friendly well, that supporters. Was, see, to me, that's that's that was the hugest mistake. To put a that's soundtrack a on it. That, right. Then it's that, theater. Yeah, you know, like that. Then you take it. I, I, I can say this. You can't. I think there shouldn't have been an audience. I mean, it should have been a. It's certainly not a friendly audience. And yeah. I don't. 
you needed, I think, an anchor with more gravitas doing it. And I think that was the other problem. He was able to run over Caitlin. And I, you don't need to respond to that. I think yeah. that was the problem. I think that I could say, let's get him on. It's a big statement. But let's put a neutral backdrop and everything that that means. Yeah. And let's put Jake or somebody on there who can who can really go out. Well, but you know he wouldn't have agreed. He yes. wants the friendly Absolutely. audience. Absolutely, yes. That's one yeah. of his conditions for all of, like, most of his appearances because it's theater for him. He wants yes. to produce it. Yes. And having the applause behind the awful things he says makes you at home question, well, why do I think it's Wonderful. awful? They all love it. Yeah, of course. That's what he wants. He won. He won at that. And yeah. we didn't have to cede that, I don't think. Okay, so I want you to handicap. Well, first, a couple of a few few more things to talk about. You you did a column a couple of months ago uh, that the cage match, but the the possible cage match between Zuckerberg and Musk is a metaphor for our times. By the way, would you, I would love? I, I can't stay neither one of those guys, but I would love Zuckerberg to just smash him in the face. Elon Musk, I find I, he's a Bond villain. I mean, I find yeah. him so dangerous and so frightening. I'm glad you wrote that column. Thanks. I mean, it's wild. I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. And I can't believe I wrote about that because it's real. Yeah. These two people have threatened to hold a cage match. They've even talked about locations. It's crazy. These are supposed to be like the thought leaders, right? <laughs> For a generation. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I have the stomach to, to see any of that. I, I understand where you're coming at with it. Elon is, I think, a very dangerous person. So dangerous. But I don't know that I have the stomach for this, for that that kind of theater. I don't know. <laughs> but talk to the audience of why it was kind of a metaphor for our times. Well, because the the problem solvers in any society, right? Maybe they're your scientists, your inventors, your 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 technocrats, um, your solutionists. Uh, these are supposed to be people who you trust and admire who are leading a society to progress. Um, and instead, two of our biggest thought leaders, um, at least in, in the tech world, uh, want to fight each other because of like personal grievances, literally mm -hmm. fight each other because of personal grievances. How can we demand better of our politics if our thought leaders are devolving into child, you know, playground antics to quote unquote solve problems and meanwhile solving no problems. Um, I think it's just really disheartening, but almost like the Mike Judge idiocracy movie, which now feels like a documentary, <laughs> that like we truly live in the stupidest of times. If this is what our smartest people are doing, we live in the stupidest of times. Speaking of which, you wrote a column also about DeSantis, the Manchurian candidate. Have you ever seen a less appealing candidate in every sense of the word? And this guy was starting on up there on the top of the mountain. He was, I, I mean, he was packaged, he was ready to go, and you unwrapped it and you went, yuck. Yeah, I think you're like, he was packaged. And I, I have long thought of him as like a donor class invention, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I think donors said, we need Trump, but smarter. We'll pick this very popular governor. Um, who seems to be kind of willing to say anything and go anywhere that we tell him to. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think he's a very convicted person. I think he is packaged and in, sure. in that way, a kind of a Manchurian candidate where you tell him to go after the culture wars, he'll kind of ham-fistedly go after the culture sure. wars yeah. and, you know, he'll do it. He might, he might not do it well, um, but he'll do it. And yeah, when you got to like, who is Ron DeSantis and what is the there there? 
um, there's not much. And of particular interest to me, there's not much conservatism. And I think in that column, I went through all the reasons why. People don't, I guarantee if you did a poll and it said, what are the basic tenets of conservatism? I don't think people even understand what that is anymore in terms of less government and sort of rugged individualism yeah. and, 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 you know, in, in terms of law and order. I, I, I mean, it, the, yeah. the Republican Party has no tenets of Republicanism anymore, of conservatism. It doesn't matter because it didn't matter to Trump. Yeah. So lowering the debt and the deficit, Trump didn't care. It exploded. Even with Mike Pence, the deficit hawk right there, it exploded. He didn't care. Limited government. Trump wants a police state. You know, Trump wants to grow the size of government mm -hmm. to protect him. Um, law and order. Well, it only matters until the cops are the ones coming mm -hmm. after MAGA Republicans. Then we don't care about them so much. The intelligence community, the military. Well, they're great until Trump says they're not. And now we hate mm -hmm. them, too. Uh, family values. I could go protectionism. Yeah, everything. Tariffs. I could go amazing. down yeah. the list of reasons I became a Republican. By the right. way, having nothing to do with abortion or social issues. No, you're pro-life. You would, right. You wouldn't find. Well, I am pro-life, but that's not why I became a Republican. And I'm an atheist, so I'm not with a religious right. faction either. None of that stuff is in evidence now by the Republican Party. Certainly not by by folks like Ron DeSantis, who seem to want to make the culture wars like his entire personality. Hey, before I let you go, the one question I ask everybody, the premise of this podcast is kind of everything is a brand today. Everybody's a brand, everything. everything. Yeah. What's the SE Cup brand? I, I think before Trump, it was, you know, probably um, a classic conservative, classic conservatism. But I think since it's more of like, I'm, I'm balls and strikes. I will obviously call out the Republican Party. And when I call out Democrats, it's not because I hate them. I don't. Uh, it's because I think they're messing up. And mm -hmm. I truly believe it. And so my my brand has become intellectual consistency and intellectual honesty. And I have no room for hypocrisy in in this this landscape. I have no room for uh, whataboutism. And well, if your guy does it, it's bad. If my guy does it, it's fine. I have no appetite for that. I'm exhausted by it. And so I think if that's where you want to go, you want to go to to someone who will tell it like it is. While also telling you where I'm cut my biases, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's where where I'm existing today. <laughs> I love the balls and strikes metaphor. SC, thanks for getting personal and going there today, and as keep up the good work, my friend. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Donnie. You know I'm a big fan. I love you, and I love what you do. So thanks for having me. All right, you stay healthy, okay? Thanks.